This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Well, we have a bunch of different things that we want to talk about from Victoria today. A list, actually, that we're going to run through with Richard Zussman. But first up, we'll talk about the Trial Lawyers Association of BC. We spoke with them earlier about the changes that are coming into effect, full effect, today uh, when it comes to ICBC. So a limit of $5,000 on pain and suffering payouts for injuries that they designate as minor, which would be claims worth less than $50,000. And they say this in combination with the other things that they're doing could save the Crown Corporation something like a billion dollars a year. Trial lawyers don't agree. Their association is launching a constitutional challenge. We had their president, Ron Nairn, on the show earlier. We do recognize that there are vastly increased numbers of accidents out on the road that have grown far faster than the number of vehicles. And that in itself is a reason for a financial crunch. But the answer isn't to take resources away from people who have been injured through the negligence of others. It's to get the accident rate down. And the government should be undertaking a massive province-wide safety campaign to reduce the number of accidents. All right, this is one of several stories we're going to be talking about with Richard Desmond, our global news legislative reporter from Victoria. Hi, Richard. Hi, Simi. Okay, so trial lawyers are launching this constitutional challenge. What does the government have to say about that? Yeah, so it was not unexpected. The government anticipated it. They believe uh, they're going to win, that their legislation is constitutional. Uh, similar caps have been tested in other jurisdictions, and in every case, the province is one. But what is different here in British Columbia, two things. The loose definition of minor injuries, you mentioned it there. Part of it has to do with value, but it's also the type of injuries as well. And minor injuries also includes concussions that are dealt with uh, in less than three months, as well as some other types of injuries. And so the trial lawyers are saying that that definition is far too vague uh, and infringes on individuals' charter rights. There's also the issue around the, the resolution tribunal. So part of the changes that come into effect today at ICBC or the province is basically changing the way that you can uh, fight these settlements. And right. previously, we've had these long-term court, you know, court appearances that go on for long time. Now they're moving to a civil re- civil resolution tribunal, which is basically online, uh, and you know, documents go back and forth, and then decisions are made. So the uh, trial lawyers are saying that system, the resolution tribunal, which doesn't take place in other jurisdictions, is unconstitutional. So uh, basically, those are the main arguments, and the province says, you know, we're ready to take them on in court. Interesting. Okay, so a couple of the stories in Victoria as well today. I heard the conflict of interest commissioner, Paul Fraser, passed away. Yeah, he did over the weekend. Uh, very sad news. Um, apparently a pancreatic cancer. You know, he, he's been an institution here for quite some time, has has been responsible for some significant cases around looking into conflicts, especially when it came to former Premier Christy Clark. Uh, so very sad condolences uh, to his family. Uh, his son was a deputy minister uh, in the Clark government as well. So, you know, a sad day here at the legislature because of the news of Paul Fraser's death. Right, obviously, yeah. So what happens now with that position? Yeah, so the uh, it's an appointment by cabinet. Uh, so cabinet will make a decision. Uh, I have 
haven't got the update yet, Simi. My assumption would be that there would be a deputy or someone that would take charge in the interim, and then cabinet will make the decision uh, to hire somebody. It, it works differently than some of the other watchdogs, like the information uh, commissioner or the ombudsperson, uh, which would be done by a committee. This right. is uh, done by cabinet. So John Horgan's cabinet will will make a decision on on who should be the conflict of interest commissioner. All right. Speaking of cabinet, let's also touch on money lender. I know we're covering a lot of stuff today. There's a lot going on, Victoria. Let's talk about money laundering here as well, because I understand that the BC Liberals are finally going to turn over those documents that David yeah. Eby said he's been asking for for a long time. Yeah, so months and months and months, the the Liberals made the or sorry, the NDP made the request of the Liberals that they wanted to see these documents around money laundering and what cabinet decided. This was after uh, former Minister Rich Coleman uh, made a number of public declarations saying the Liberals did everything possible to deal with the issue of money laundering and casinos. And the NDP said, well, if you did, um, we would love to see the work that you did so that we don't replicate it and so that we can learn from it. Uh, so then finally today, uh, news has come out that those documents are available. Um, I will hopefully get my hands on those documents soon to have a look at uh, what's being looked at in terms of what we're allowed to publicly see. Some of those are still sworn by secrecy. That was part of the deal that the NDP struck with the Liberals is that we will maintain cabinet confidentiality. We will keep them in secret. We just want to know the work that's been done. This comes to me on the same day. Basically, yesterday was the deadline for Peter German to turn in his right. second report on money laundering. Uh, so we're going to ask Minister David Eby about that in the next half an hour or so. Um, I'm assuming he's seen it. I'm assuming he won't tell us a lot about what's in it. Uh, he has promised to make it available to the public, but it will take time. Uh, the issue with the first German report was that they needed to redact a number of sections that had to do with ongoing investigations as well as uh, names of people involved. So we anticipate we will get to see this report, which looked into money laundering in the housing market. The first one looked into money laundering in casinos. But um, my best knowledge is that the government now has that second German report. Right. Okay. Because, yeah, that'll be a big one. This is the one having to do with... Uh, housing. Um, housing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then and the, is there going to be one about real, not real estate, but like um, luxury Hor cars? And yeah. So I think this one also includes horse tracks and luxury yes. cars. So th that's a subsection of the one with real estate and housing. So real estate and housing is the main part of it, but they also said, based on what oh, they found boy. in the first report, they would also look into money laundering in luxury cars and in uh, the in horse uh, track betting as well. All right. That's going to be interesting. Uh, that'll be a good one. So that you say possibly next week. Yeah, we we just don't know. I would guess it would be much longer than that, Simi. I think it's going to take a lot of time to go through the lawyers uh, right. to to redact sections. I think the German report. Oh, I'm trying to go off memory. Was at least a month, if not longer, yeah, after he it turned it in. Yeah. So I anticipate that we'll probably look at a similar time frame for this one as well. Okay, something else for you to ask then, David Eby, when you talk to him <laughs> in about half an hour. And on a final note here, a story that boy got a lot of people talking last week about dress codes at the legislature. This is a quick turnaround. There's a solution to this. There is a solution. So we have this memo now from Daryl Plekis after they've done a preliminary report. They will be changing the rules. So the report uh, reads here, or this um, memo reads, uh, women uh, for women, uh, it needs to be professional business attire, includes a range of contemporary conventional options, which may include sleeveless dresses, sleeveless shirts, and blouses. I'm sure the listeners will wow. remember the story from last week when uh, there was a government staffer who was told to leave the Speaker's corridor because she was wearing a blouse. Uh, it led to protests here at the legislature for members of the press gallery. Uh, as well as from uh, other government staff.
staff, and uh, very quickly they've changed the rules. The other big thing they've changed here is part of the issue was there were staff from the sergeant arms office who were telling people who work in that corridor what to wear and whether yeah. it was appropriate or not. And I think that was one of the major issues because there were no real defined rules. And now those staff no longer have the ability to enforce it. Each individual is capable of choosing appropriate professional business attire, the memo reads. And the other really interesting part of this as well, and, and this building, the BC legislature, like many other places, has a huge gender imbalance and has for a long, long time, right? This is a yeah. male-dominated workplace. And I think Daryl Pluck has hit the right tone here when he writes, I am committed to supporting gender sensitivity and awareness at the Legislative Assembly, a workplace setting that has been dominated by one gender for far too long. Due to this historical imbalance, I am more than open to accommodating concerns brought forward wow. by many women as a ter- as articulated over the past few days. That's quite a turnaround from the letter that he sent out last week. Yeah, you know, that was, and he explains that in this memo, that last week it wasn't his own thoughts. It was the rules that had been placed for nearly 40 years. He he was criticized pretty heavily for yeah. that memo last week as being, you know, antiquated and, and out of touch. And I think he's explaining today that that memo from last week was just an explanation of the existing rules, rules that most people that work in this building, including me, had never seen. You know, I serve as the press gallery president now, and I've had conversations about dress codes in the past, and I was never told that there was existing rules already. So I think that's part of why there was confusion last week. But now we have clarity and let sleeveless shirts rain. Oh, looking forward to it. Thank you, Richard. Simi, my pleasure as always. Thank you. Have a great day. That's Richard Zussman, our global news legislative reporter over in Victoria.